Hello and welcome back for another podcast episode of Acido Magazine. I'm your host, Emre Shentürk and founder of Acido Magazine. And I'm back with a brand, brand new, a very brand new episode of this podcast. As you can see, for all of you who follow me on YouTube, um, unfortunately, all of you who listen to me on podcasts uh, or podcast providers cannot see it, but uh, I have rearranged um, yeah, the, the setting a little bit and I hope you like it, uh, but be sure the content is going to stay the same, remain uh, yeah, the same at the high quality that I aim to achieve and also improve. Today I have a very um, a special episode for all of you because I'm going to present um, to you a new concept of political categorization and it is called the political cube. Now, as you might know from uh, many articles I've wrote before, is that I'm very ambitious in terms of um, yeah, thinking about new concepts and how to develop political science a bit f uh, further, um, thinking about new concepts and most prominently the editor paradox, right? Um, and I'm going to put the link down below, um, was one of the main inventions and innovations that I brought to the uh, field of political science. And um, obviously I aim to, to continue to do that. And uh, most recently I developed a concept that is better suited to kind of develop or to categorize political thinking and policy making as well as policy actions, etc., etc. So in this concept, um, I kind of take what is already there, what we know from polit political categorizations and um, develop it further. And I have an article where this is also described in uh, detail. Obviously, link is also in the description, so you can um, read this article also after, um, after this show. Um, or after this this episode, so um, there it is in a bit more detail. But what does it entail? Um, how does it work? What is the political cube? So in order to understand that, we first of all have to think about um, what we currently use to kind of categorize political thinking. And unfortunately, most of our political thinking is today limited to two realms, which is uh, the left and the right. So we always tend to think in terms of left and right. The leftists uh, did this, the rightists um, or the political right did this. So we have a very limited understanding of how politics works and what we can use to categorize um, yeah, actually the, the developments that we encounter on a daily basis. So it is not very powerful, right? If you just have two sides and you just have to pick one in order to categorize, okay, well, this policy action is left and this is right. So we have the political spectrum. This is um, was developed by Hans um, Eysenck. I, uh, I, I hope uh, I uh, pronounced it correctly. Um, very important addition to the field of political science. Uh, he actually added another dimension to it. So we have this one-dimensional scope, right, of left and um, and right uh, political thinking, and he brought it to the next next level in um, adding democratic and authoritarian on an y-axis meaning that we don't have just an x axis but also a y-axis in terms of democratic and authoritarian the terms are quite problematic because on the left what does left mean you know i go to the left i go to the right but what does it mean in political terms obviously we 
often associate things with it, but there's a reason for it. And uh, because I think this is not very powerful, we should rather think about left political thinking in terms of very re redistributive um, political actions, meaning taking from one part of the population and giving it to the other, and rightist uh, non-redistributive. Uh, uh, and uh, in that sense that politics is not really engaged in kind of redistributing resources and uh, reallocating them um, among yeah, the society. So this is a better uh, terminology to use here. But nonetheless, this is the basis. And then the two um, points that um, yeah, um, this gentleman um, named Hans uh, Eysenck um, basically introduced, democratic, also very difficult. Democratic has a very different meaning in technocratic terms, so we just call it libertarian, so more free and yeah, non-restrictive. Um, and on the other side, we have um, authoritarian, which actually is a good term because it it implies control and um, kind of yeah keeping um, keeping everything under control. So we have these two axes, right? Left, right, authoritarian, and libertarian. But this is also not enough because in the end, we just have four categories where we can place those um, those ideas and policy making terms and so on and so forth so it's it's not very useful and also we are three-dimensional um, organisms we think in uh, three dimensions we live in three dimensions everything we do is based on the idea that we have three dimensions and this is lacking in political science terms and this was the basis of my thinking because left and right obviously is not sufficient because because we have two options to place uh, political topics um, into all right, we have another axis, we have now four, but we also have to double it again. And by adding a Z axis, we have the possibility to also open up the discourse and categorize political courses of action on three different axes. Not only left-right, libertarian, authoritarian, but also in two other terms, the third dimension. And this is what the political cube is and uh, what the invention that I explain in this article is. And now you're obviously curious, what are those? Well, on the one end of this third dimension is the aspect of emotional or emotionality, whatever you want to call it. It's the idea that policymaking is driven by emotional motives and arguments. Meaning, if you would say, as a politician, I want to raise taxes because I think this and that is not fair. The argument is not an empiric or technocratic one, it is an emotional one. If a politician says, I want all the foreigners out of my country because this is our country, the argument and the motives and the drivers behind this policy action are not rational but they are emotional they are not grounded in an argumentative structure that can um, yeah, be justified and also carried by political science on the other side we have the um, yeah the, on this on this dimensional three-dimensional axis we have um, technocratic yeah, or um, technocratic thinking uh, whatever you call it yeah? technocratic is is the term or um, 
yeah, the way I put it in, in the article. And this means that policymaking is grounded in and based on empiric facts, on technicalities, on kind of the rationality of political science. Because we can take those arguments again and say, I want to raise taxes because I think, or not I think, that again would be emotional, but I want to raise taxes because by um, taxing those groups in society, we want to re uh, gain more revenue in order to reinvest it in those groups. For example, rational argument, technically correct, Obviously, if it's done in this way or not, this is another question. It's just about the categorization of this policy action. So this gives us a more accurate picture of where to place this policy action. And then we can turn back to this um, foreigner uh, argument and say, well, I want all foreigners out because I don't want the societal structure to become more diversified in order for us to concentrate on the... Um, yeah, intercultural aspects that we have or intracultural aspects that we seem to have uh, lost over time and regain them because and then we obviously want the for uh, foreigners to be out rational argument justifiable and um, yeah technically correct basically now why is it important that we have such a yeah, or more sophisticated way of categorizing um, yeah, policy directions and, and policy making, but also political ideas, you know. As you might know, or as I introduced or said in the beginning, it is kind of a problem when, when we uh, just have very limited options in order to, to uh, put labels on, on people, right? When we have left and right, there are many things that we associate with those terms politically seen that actually have no connection with the word itself or with what we want to explain there. When we say left, we think about feminism, we think about democracy, we think about fairness, we think about welfare, we think about healthcare, uh, social justice movement, uh, we think about all sorts of things or many, many other concepts. We think about the West, we think about Europe, we think about um, yeah, the, the Northern Hemisphere, we think about white people. These are all associations that we connect with just one word. And these are highly complex concepts, basically. If we take the concept of democracy, and this is distinct from democratic thinking even, and put it behind a word that's called left, and there are 10 other concepts that are highly complex and we put it behind one word. The simplification that happens there reduces the importance of all the other terms that lay behind it. And then obviously the, the meaning becomes distorted. And when it becomes distorted, technical and, uh, and productive dialogue is not possible anymore. And when it's not possible, um, we cannot progress in those, uh, in those fields and political science especially and the same goes for right because when we think about the right we think about capitalism we think about money we think about um, conservatism we think about uh, racism we think about um, all sorts of things we think even we think about the color blue because this is something that we would associate with all the points that i um, 
just mentioned, the military, police, all things that belong to the right thinking. But there again, we are simplifying very complex concepts that lie behind it. And in the end, we're just harming ourselves because our understanding becomes so limited because and then the, the, the concepts that lay under this umbrella or below this umbrella term become meaningless and useless. And in the end, when we talk about, when I say, for example, conservatism, very complex um, uh, thinking and uh, concept in, in, its, in its entirety becomes just uh, a buzzword, basically. Same goes for uh, libertarian and, and authoritarian. If you think about authoritarian, yeah, it's just uh, it's purely dictatorship or uh, yeah other forms of of one man rule, and obviously this is also not right. So we need more differentiation, and by adding this this uh, third dimension to it, those concepts do not need to borrow from or need don't, don't need to rely on only one word to be uh, represented within that whole categorization process of political thinking. They have more options. You know, democracy can assume more forms on a, on an, um, in a three-dimensional room than uh, on a one-dimensional axis. And then democracy become, gets the, the opportunity to become or get the value that it actually has by assuming those different forms. Democracies can come in so many different forms, but you need to locate them. And if you don't have the tools to locate them, it becomes just one way of thinking about democracies and then it cannot unfold its true power. And this is very important why we need the cognitive tools to kind of categorize all these things. And I think the third axis is very, very important in that regard. And it helps to categorize those, um, yeah, those those aspects, right? Uh, <clears throat> and then also uh, when we think about uh, policy making, we need to also understand how policy actions are kind of um, informed, yeah, in um, in what they want to do and where they come from, yeah, background wise. So I would turn back to the to the example of the politician who says I want to raise or lower taxes. If that happens to be born out of a technocratic setting, which is inherently better than emotional, it means that this taxation policy is more likely to succeed rather than with an emotional background, depending on the context, obviously. But we need to locate it in order to make sense of it. If the context um, if we are in a very rational context, political context, and there's an emotional, um, emotionally driven policy proposal or a, a policy action, this might be calculated and born out of a rationality that in the end helps to be efficient in the end. Yeah? Um, there are many, many different variations of that. But if it's the other way around, for example, um, technical policy uh, actions might not be very fruitful in very emotional contexts. So it very pretty much depends, but we need to analyze it and then locate it within this cube. And without the cube, we just have basically nothing and then we just use it to um, put labels on people. You are a conservatist, you are a leftist, you are a feminist, you are this, you are that. And in the end, we don't reach 
yeah, uh, common sense and um, a mode where, where this course is going to be useful. So um, the political cube, I think, is a very useful and very important addition to political science. I put a lot of thought into it. And I think also in the context of devletism, so um, the concept like the state thinking or the state theory that I developed in my book, um, which by the way is also uh, linked in the uh, in the description, it is very important because this tech technocratic element, we have lost it in politi uh, political science and also in politics. Uh, generally which is very sad and it does not help us because in the end we have such emotional emotionally loaded um, policy actions in a lot of countries that we might not think about uh, the other technical ways that we can go and and um, kind of explore so we need this cube in order to locate it and over time if you start for example um collecting data on it and, and place policy actions within a country within that cube, you quickly see how imbalanced some countries are or not. And according to that, you can counterbalance it because an over-rationality is also not, um, uh, not very um, efficient in the end because you also need this, uh, this emotional aspect in order to keep uh, the society together and um, yeah, in a lot of situations, it makes perfect uh, perfect sense to have this emotionally driven um, approach to certain things. But not having it and just differentiating between left, right, and libertarian and author uh, authoritarian is very is very limited in what it tells you about uh, policy actions. So. For example, we can, what can we conclude? For example, we can take the European Union and then we can take China, for example. So if we look at the European Union and we look at China, you would say basically it is, yeah, these are two stark, it is a stark contrast between those two political systems, right? The EU and China. You wouldn't put them together and, and look for similarities, right? And on the two-dimensional axis, you're perfectly right. You know, um, they are somewhat uh, kind of far away in terms of authoritarian and libertarian. You might argue that they're both leftist. Some would argue that uh, China or the European Union might be more on the right. But these are um, yeah, kind of argumentative or discursive uh, differences that we have here. But what those two political systems have in common is that they are very, very technocratic. And this is a commonality together with this being, being left or um, more redistributive shows that those political systems have much more in common but can be completely different over just one uh, one factor and that would be um, yeah the amount of control that the government has so left why why is the European Union uh, left and, and China left they redistribute um, economic sources 
but also societal sources and reproductive sources. They reallocate them within their societies and political systems uh, quite not only frequently, but also in a very, how can I say it, um, in a very significant way. From the bottom to the top, horizontally and whatever. So very redistributive. So uh, in order to kind of balance out social and economic differences. Okay. On the other hand, they're very technocratic. The European Union um, especially has this, yeah, kind of um, yeah mindset or this institutional setup that the experts that work there in the, at the European Commission, they are truly experts in what they're doing and nobody's interfering. They set the standards um, yeah, far away from the national interest. So they have like an own organizational or um, superseding um, interest. And according to that, whatever the European Union says or does, the member states uh, in most cases need to apply it and integrate it into national law. In China, it's basically the same thing. So the political party, the only one that exists there, makes decisions based purely on what they think is um, the best way to go. And then they also obviously consider the nation as a whole. So the European Union has this aim of the great Europe and is making technocratic decisions based on that. And um, China does that with, um, yeah, with its own country and its own political system because they want to advance as a unit. Um, in the United States, you, have, you don't have, for example, this technocratic element. They are very emotional. There are stark um, or grave rifts in the society and the political discussion and argument and policy making is very impulsive. It's very emotionally driven. Turning back to Europe and China, the only thing that separates those uh, two countries is the amount of control that the political elites have over the population. In China, there's full control. In Europe, there's yeah, little to no control. They can lead and guide the populations. Obviously, they can also exercise control, but not in that rigid and drastic way it is in, in China, uh, for example. So basically, the cube helps us here to think about political systems, ideas, policymaking, and everything that has, yeah, needs kind of a, yeah, a location and um, coordinates within within the discourse um, can be picked up here and also um, can be categorized here. Therefore, it is a very important addition to political science. And uh, as I said, you can read it in full length um, down below, acido.com. Um, I'm happy uh, when you uh, visit and, and browse uh, through all the articles. But also, as I said, you can follow me uh, on social media, uh, YouTube, but also um, on various podcast platforms. And uh, I hope that you enjoyed this episode again and um, as I said very special to me to present this this whole new concept to you I hope you enjoyed it I hope um, there's going to be some some dialogue and uh, I'm very curious about your remarks and your comments 
So um, drop some comments down below as well as a like if you uh, agree. And then see you or hear you next time for another podcast episode of Asida Magazine. So take care and bye.